I want to ask you, how many of you, like Jules, have a physical scar on your body? I think all of us have one or two, maybe more than that. Um, probably some, some of us, if, if not all of us, have emotional scars, have scars on our hearts. See, in our lives, this life that we live in, we all get wounded, don't we? We all experience pain. We all will end up with scars. Jesus told us in John 16, he says, in this life, you'll have many troubles. He didn't promise us a pain-free life on this earth. He said, in this life, you'll have many troubles, but that's not the end of the verse. He says, but take heart, because I've overcome the world. In this life, yeah, you're going to have trouble. See, we're just passing through. This, is, this isn't our permanent home. I don't know if you know that or not. We're, just, we're citizens of another land. This is just a temporary place that we're passing through. And Jesus says, yeah, you're going to have troubles, but take heart. Don't worry about it. It's not easy, I know, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And here's the question that I have for you and for me today. With this, this pain, with the scars, with uh, this hurt that we experience, how will we respond to those wounds? What will we do with those scars? You see, we, we spend our life avoiding pain, don't we? We run from it, we hide from it, we prevent against it, we cover our scars, we conceal our wounds, we run from any sort of suffering. We even have pain medication that we use to mask our senses, to hide from our pain. But I want to tell you this morning why pain is a good thing. I didn't misspeak. Pain is a good thing and why your scars shouldn't be covered up. So before we get started, let's, let's bow in, in prayer and just give this time to Jesus. Father God, we bow before you humbled this morning that you love us so much. We're so thankful that you're for us and not against us. God, would you show yourself strong right here, right now? Your presence is here. We know it. We can feel it. Would you bring us a word, each of us a word, that would impact each one of these hearts and minds that are listening, whether they're here physically or listening on the podcast. God, we want to experience you today. And we know that if we can experience Jesus, if we can come in contact with you, that we'll be changed. We'll leave this place different from when we came in. And that's what we want. God, thank you that you're among us. Thank you that your spirit is stirring something up in this body, in this church, in this city, in this region, God. Help us to be listening for your call. God, you're still calling us just like you did with the first church to step forward together. We've got to respond. We've got to do something when you call us. God, help us to do that together because we're so much more powerful together. And we do this all for one name. We don't do this for our name. We do this to lift one name high and one name alone. That's the name of Jesus. And we love you so much, God, because you first loved us and you sent Jesus as a ransom for us. So it's in his name we pray and all God's people said, amen, let it be so. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, whether it's a physical copy or a digital copy, either way, man, it's so important to be in the word of God. So important. There's so many people in this world that, world that still don't have access to the Word of God. Don't take it for granted. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. Luke 5, verses 12 to 14. So you can find that in your Bibles. Luke 5, 12 to 14. says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, 
a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So here we are, Luke chapter 5. This story is also found in Matthew and Mark, almost word for word, identical in those books as well. And just to give you a little backdrop, so Jesus, he's by the Sea of Galilee. He had just recruited his first disciples, Simon, Peter, James, and John, fresh off the boat, literally. He calls these fishermen. He says, hey, drop your nets. Come follow me. We're going to fish for something more valuable, fish for men. So that's the backdrop here. And they, they had, so Jesus and these three disciples, they're, they're coming to this next village, this next town. And Jesus comes to this town and, and encounters this man with leprosy. An advanced case of leprosy, the Bible says. Now, pause for just a moment and and bear with me, but I want to explain to you what leprosy is because we don't understand it in today's day and time, especially in America. It's not prevalent here at all. Leprosy is an unbelievably horrific infectious disease. It's most common in tropical or subtropical climates in poor, undeveloped countries in the world. We've made a lot of strides medically in the last 50 to 80 years, really, in this disease. We've under, we understand it a lot better than we used to. In the past 20 years, 16 million patients have been treated for leprosy. Millions of them have been cured. Currently, uh, there's about 200,000 new cases around the world every year. Only about 100 of those surface in America. So we don't touch this thing at all. Leprosy causes skin lesions, and it starts by damaging the small uh, nerves in the skin's surface, which results in a loss of sensation. The first outward sign is usually discolored patches where there's no feeling. And because leprosy sufferers cannot feel pain, everyday simple activities are filled with danger. It can damage the nerves in the face, causing the eyelid muscles to stop working. And when that happens, your blinking mechanism stops, and dust that you would normally blink away from your eye gets trapped in there, and a lot of these leprosy patients end up going blind because of that. It ruins their eyes. Leprosy sufferers are unable to feel pain. And this was never never fully understood until the 20th century. It's widely believed to be the world's oldest disease, and it's also one of, if not the most stigmatized disease in history. The Bible's filled with many stories of people with leprosy, and people who had this disease were disowned, they were disapproved of, they were sent to live in isolation and treated like outcasts of society. And this disease is long bordered on an almost hysteric, hysteria. People freaking out. They didn't want to go near the lepers because they misunderstood how this disease was transmitted. And it resulted in horrible disfigurement. Um, People, their faces would look like they were melting off. Loss of fingers, toes, limbs. I was going to show some pictures today, but I actually thought twice of it because of maybe some of your weak stomachs. But if you want, go ahead and and Google some images later. So many of these people, they're, they're losing their appendages all because of their inability to feel pain. About 20 years ago, I had the privilege to hear a man by the name of Dr. Paul Brand speak at a church in Canada. And 
that in, this message of his impacted me so greatly that I've never thought about pain the same way since. See, Dr. Brand, he pioneered several things. He pioneered the tendon transfer techniques um, that are still used today to transfer tendons in arms and feet of leprosy patients so that they can function properly once again. And most importantly, he made a huge contribution to understanding leprosy as a disease. It was his meticulous research that proved that leprosy does not cause the rotting away of hands and feet. Instead, rather, it's the loss of sensation, the loss of feeling, which makes people affected by leprosy prone to injuring themselves. So when Dr. Brand was researching leprosy in the mid-1900s, he talks in his, book, his biography, The Gift of Pain, about two scenes that he witnessed in New Guinea. Uh, that would scar his life forever, that he would remember until the day he died. The first, and I'm just going to try to recap these, the first was this woman um, that he, he saw, he encountered near this leprosarium in New Guinea, and she was roasting a yam over a, a, an open fire. And she had this yam on a stick, and she was kind of turning it like a barbecue spit, and suddenly the yam fell off into the fire, the burning coals, and so she tried to stab it again with her stick. But instead of getting back on the stick, it drove the yam further and further into the burning coals. And so at one point, she kind of reached exhaustion, and she turned and looked to an older man who was squatting a few feet away, and she kind of shrugged. Without saying a word, the man got up, walked over to the fire, and stuck his hand right into the fire, into the burning hot coals, and found the yam, gave it back to the woman, and walked back down to where he was sitting. And Dr. Brand, being a hand surgeon, was absolutely appalled by this. Absolutely appalled. And everything had happened so fast that he couldn't react. But he went over to the old man and, and, and looked at his hands. There was not much remaining of his hands. Fingers were missing, open sores, leaking blisters, and just scars of old wounds. And the doctor lectured him on his need to, to don't do that. Take care of, better care of your hands. But it was just met with an apathetic response. A few days later, the second scene that he witnessed, the doctor was at this other leprosarium and he was holding an open clinic. And when it was announced that he was there in the courtyard, all of the, the patients came out from their huts and began to hurry towards him. And this one man, the young man that he noticed, was on crutches and started towards him, and um, pretty soon he was overtaken by the other patients. And wanting to get there first, he tucked his crutches under his arm and started running and waving wildly at the doctor. Well, he had this very lopsided gait. His legs were obviously shorter than each other. Something was clearly wrong, but he reached the front of the line, and he stood very proud of himself, smiling at the doctor. But Dr. Brand knew something was terribly wrong, and he walked over to him and saw that his bandages were wet with blood, saw that his left foot was flopping freely side to side. See, by, by running on an already dislocated ankle, he had put far too much force on the end of his leg bone, and the skin had broken under that stress. He was literally walking on the end of his tibia. And with every step, that naked bone dug into the ground, and, and nurses nearby scolded the man sharply, but he seemed very happy and proud of himself that he had made it first to the doctor. Dr. Brand knelt beside him and discovered two small stones and some twigs that had jammed up through the end of the bone right into the marrow cavity. And he had no choice but later to amputate his leg 
And these two scenes haunted Dr. Brand for the rest of his life. He could see those two facial expressions, the indifference of the old man and the joyful exuberance of the young man, one who lost his hand eventually and the other his leg. But what they had in common was this terrible disease called leprosy, the inability to feel pain. And every move that they make, every step that they took was a step towards self-destruction. So that is leprosy. And that's what we have to understand in this story. The inability to feel pain. So, this, so back to Luke 5, Jesus, he's in this town. And along comes a man who's covered, the Bible says, covered with leprosy. So very likely his face was disfigured. Very likely he was missing fingers and toes, possibly limbs. Now there's something else you need to know about leprosy before we go further in this story. We've just finished a series of this church on the Ten Commandments, right? And the Israelites, they've escaped Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai. They get the Ten Commandments from God. But God keeps giving them more laws and things to do, and he gives them to Moses, laws to follow. You can find that uh, back in, in some of those books in the Old Testament. But some of these laws had to do with skin diseases, just like leprosy. And in Leviticus 13 and 14, God gives the Israelites, gives Moses so specific instructions on what to do if someone develops a skin disease. And I'm going to summarize it here because there's a ton going on in these chapters. But the first and major rule was that if anyone developed a rash or discolored skin that had the potential to develop into leprosy, that person had to be brought to the priest. It was only the priest that could examine him. Nobody else, just the priest. And the priest would examine the condition, and if it was serious enough, they would pronounce that person unclean. And that person would have to be quarantined. Leviticus 13.46 says, As long as the serious disease lasts, they would be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. And then it was only the priest that could pronounce someone clean again. Only the priest could bring someone out of isolation. And once someone had been pronounced clean, there was all this, these series of sacrifices that the priest needed to make before God in order to, to make that person fully restored. So keep this in mind. Jesus, of course, knew the law. This leper that encountered him in, in Luke 5 knew the law. He knew, in fact, that he should be in isolation. He shouldn't have even been in that village near Jesus. And he knew that only a priest could examine him. And so Jesus encounters this man covered in leprosy, and when he sees Jesus, he falls with his face to the ground in worship. And he begs him, he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I love his faith. Lord, if you're willing. The leper had no doubt whatsoever about the ability of Jesus to heal. See, the only question was, is if Jesus was willing to heal. But he completely believed in the power of Jesus. This guy, who had been in isolation maybe most of his life, believed in the power of Jesus. In Second Kings, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a Syrian commander named Naaman, who had leprosy. And Naaman had heard that there was this prophet in Israel that was healing people, and so he, he went to the king of Israel to try to experience this healing. And when Naaman came to the king, the king said, Am I God that I can kill and bring back to life? In other words, to, you have to understand this leprosy was so hopeless in the ancient world that it was likened to raising someone from the dead. 
to be cured of leprosy. That's how hopeless this disease was. And this leper is standing in front of Jesus, and all he, he knew that all Jesus needed to, be, to do was to be willing to heal him. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus did something amazing. Jesus reached out his hand, the Bible says, and he touched the leper. And he said, I am willing. Be clean. Jesus reaches out and touches him. Remember Leviticus? Remember the law? Jesus wasn't supposed to touch him. The man wasn't even supposed to be there. He was supposed to be in isolation. Besides that, everyone, I'm sure these new disciples, everyone in the village were probably freaking out that there was a leper there. They thought that that's how the disease was transmitted, by skin-to-skin contact. But Jesus touches the man. See, Jesus, he touches the untouchable. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him. That, my friends, is grace. God reaching down to touch us. And here's the crazy thing. The guy with leprosy probably didn't even feel Jesus' touch because he couldn't feel. And Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches him. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left the man. But listen, Jesus didn't stop there. He told the man to do something. He told the man to respond. He told him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Jesus knew the law. He said, go show yourself to the priest. See, here's the thing. You and I have hurts. We have scars. And whether you know it or not, whether you can feel it or not, Jesus has healed you. But how are you and I going to respond? Because there is a response, and we have a choice. See, you and I can choose to stay in isolation, like a person with leprosy that has been tossed out of the camp. We can try to numb our pain with all of these different things, with medication, with alcohol, with drugs, with whatever, you name it. We can choose to wallow in self-pity and be completely absorbed in our own suffering, or we can get out of isolation and find Jesus and realize that we're healed. See, in the ultimate act of grace, Jesus reached out and he touched you when he didn't have to. When you and I were far from God, when, when we were outside the camp, when we were in isolation, He touched us, and he does it because of love. Jesus was willing to heal you. Jesus has healed you, but will you accept his healing? Will you stand up, and will you walk forward in his healing? Or will you choose to stay in isolation in your pity party of pain? Now, I'm not minimizing your pain. I'm not talking lightly about your hurt. I know it hurts. Jesus said we're going to have troubles in this world. There's a lot of pain in this room. You know how I know that? Because there's a lot of humans in this room. And last week I was struggling with this. I told my wife, I told a couple other people, but mostly I told God, I said, God, I am not qualified 
to talk about this subject. I'm not qualified to preach about pain. I don't have the level of pain that so-and-so has. I haven't experienced the level of hurt that so-and-so has. I don't have the scars that so-and-so has. And I'm wrestling with this last week. And Wednesday morning, I woke up and God smacked me across the face. And he said, Chris, you are qualified. Here's why, Chris. Because it was your sin that nailed me to the cross. And Chris, until you understand the depth of your own depravity, until you understand, Chris, how you walked away from Jesus, until you understand, Chris, how you caused the ultimate scar, until you understand what your sin caused, then you can never understand, fully understand salvation. Chris, you are qualified. And again, I'm not trying to minimize your pain or the pain in this room. What I'm saying is we have a choice. Jesus says in this life you'll have many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world. See, we have a choice. We, we need to choose to take heart. We, we need to choose that there is healing beyond the hurt. Okay, We need to choose that there's a promise beyond the pain. We need to choose to walk in the salvation that is beyond the scars. It's time to get up and start walking in that healing. No, it's not easy. Absolutely. But Jesus, Jesus said, after he healed the man, he said, go. He said, respond. He said, do something. Go and be examined by the priest who can pronounce you clean. He says, I've healed you, but you got to do something about it you got to accept it, first of all, and you have to be willing. You have to go to the priest. And Hebrews 8, for us, what does that mean? Hebrews 8 says, we have a high priest. Hello? His name is Jesus, and he's seated in honor and glory beside the throne of God. And, and check this out in Hebrews 8, he says, and there he's been given a ministry that is far superior to that of the old priesthood. A ministry to you and me. He's made the ultimate sacrifice on your behalf. You have a high priest. You need to go to the high priest because he's pronounced you clean. You are free. Whether you know it or not, whether you can feel it or not, you've been healed. You are clean. You are dead to sin. Whether you know it or not, whether you can feel it or not, you are dead to sin. You just have to walk in it. You, you can no longer be trapped by that isolation. You still need to choose, though, his healing. You need to be willing. Jesus is willing. You need to be willing. And if you are, then live like it. Act like it. Walk in it. Go and see the priest because he's right there. He's waiting for you with his arms wide open. Remember the story of Jules getting burned in the fire? Do you not think as her father, if I was standing right beside her, that I would have taken the pain for her in a heartbeat? That if I was right by her side, I would have pushed her out of the way and I would have taken the burns for her? Absolutely. That's the same love that the Father poured out for you and for me. He literally pushed us to the side and he took the punishment that should have been yours, that should have been mine. Listen to some, what, if, what he went through for you. Luke twenty two sixty four. and having blindfolded him, this is Jesus, they struck him on the face 
And they asked him, saying, prophesy, who was the one that struck you? See, under normal circumstances, if you see a punch come into your face, you can kind of react and absorb the blow. But if you're blindfolded, bam, you take the full force of that punch. He took that punch for you, those punches for you, the brutality, the full force of that. The Roman soldiers who were known for their brutality grabbed his beard, grabbed the hair on his face, and pulled it off of his face. Blood everywhere. He was bound to a post. He was stripped of his clothing and beaten with a Roman whip from his shoulders all the way down his backside. And normally this would kill a a normal man. The whip they used was called a flagrum. It it had three-foot strands coming off of it. At the end of each strand, it had pieces of bone, pieces of metal. It was designed so when the, the Roman soldier whipped the back, it would stick in the back, and then it would pull that skin right off the back. So the arteries were eventually exposed. His bowels were eventually exposed. I mean, he looked like a piece of hamburger meat, or way worse at the end of this. There's no doubt that there's, that there was a reason that humanly there was no way he could carry his cross all the way to Golgotha. They made a crown of Judean thorns, three to four inches long. They didn't just place it on his head. They pushed it down until it dug in his skull. And then he was nailed to a cross. Seven-inch nails at the end of his palms, angled inward towards his wrist so that it could support the weight of his body. Nails in his feet, agony as he hung there, suffocating slowly. The weight of his body pulled down on his arms, which would make breathing extremely difficult. And once his knees gave way, once his feet gave way, the weight would be transferred to his upper body. The arms would drag, gradually drag the shoulders out of their sockets. The elbows and wrists would then follow a few minutes later. And by now, Jesus would have no choice but to bear the entire weight, his entire weight on his chest. He's literally bearing the weight of the world on his chest. And almost immediately, he would have trouble breathing because of the weight it would cause his rib cage to lift up to an almost perpetual state of inhalation. And it was in this moment, in the moment of his greatest pain, in the moment of the world's greatest pain, that he said the three greatest words in history, it is finished. And in that moment, just like the leper, he reached out and he touched you. And he touched me and he healed us. And he took the sacrifice for us. That was for you. Each nail, that was for me. See, you and I have a choice. We can either continue to look at our own circumstances, at our own pain and suffering, or we can fix our eyes on the one who suffered for us. Hebrews 12.2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy... Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, his wounds turned into beautiful scars for me and for you. Heather talked last week about the long road that many of us are on. The long road, the journey that God has us on. It's not a short road. 
But see, you don't become a warrior without a few scars, do you? We've just been looking at this all wrong. Our perspective on pain has been all wrong. See, what was hurt, Jesus said, is now healing. What was your wound, listen to me somebody, is now your witness. What was your pain is now your promise. What was a scar is now salvation. What was a cross is now an empty grave. Come on, somebody. What was death is now new life. And until you and I grasp the severity of extreme suffering, we will never understand the depth of extreme love. 1 Peter 2.24 says, He, being Jesus, personally carried our sins on his body, on the cross, so that we could be dead to sin, dead to sin, but live for what is right. It's not about death. It's about life. By his wounds, you are healed. Every nail that pierced his body, that was for you. That means all of your wounds, all of your pain has been healed by his wounds. Hello? Don't cover your scars. They're beautiful. Scars are where the healing begins. See, I love the fact that Jesus showed his disciples his scars. After he rose from the dead, he came back and he, he said, put your, put your hand here, put your hand in my side. Look at the scars in my hands. I love that. He could have just completely healed himself and come back normally, right? But no, because scars are beautiful and he's still in heaven now with his scars. John tells us in Revelation that in the midst of the throne was a lamb as though it had been slain. We're going to see those scars one day and it's going to be a beautiful sight. See, your scars can either be a reminder of your pain or they can be a reminder of your healing. But the choice is yours. Scars don't represent pain and death. Scars represent healing and life. See, you can't talk about the cross without ending up shouting about an empty grave, can you? Death couldn't hold him down. He overcame everything for you. Every scar, every wound, every pain point, past, present, future, he overcame it. It's been overcome. It's done. He reached down and healed you. Now, he was willing, but are you willing? How are you going to respond? And so many people around us, they want to be numb. And I get it. That's her humanity. They want to be numb to what's the pain, to the pain that they're feeling, to try not to feel anything. But see, listen to me. God made his creation, you and I, to feel, to have feeling. Thank you, Jesus, that we're not numb, but we're alive. Thank you for the pain that we can feel because it's in our pain. It's in his pain when you're most alive. And Jesus has healed you. He reached down and touched you. You're just like the man with leprosy. Jesus is willing. But are you willing? Are you going to respond? See, when Jesus does something, he wants you to respond as his creation. He didn't go into the tomb and drag Lazarus out. He called him out. Lazarus, has, Lazarus had to take steps out. The paralyzed man, he said, get up and walk. You got to do something. The leper, he said, go show yourself to the priest. you got to respond. How are you going to respond to your pain? Yeah, it's not easy. 
But you have a choice to make. You can choose to live in numbness and isolation, or you can choose to feel and respond and know that God has healed you past, present, future. You need to choose to walk in that healing. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to respond. And there's nothing magical about this, but I want each of you to come forward to this cross up here and take a nail that's down here, and we've got hammers on either side. And I want you to nail that nail into the cross. And that might mean something different for each of you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. And this is a God that loves you. This is, this is someone who, who loved you so much that he took the punishment for you. And so now this is your moment. There's no special magical words to say. You can just say in your own heart, God, I turn to you. I'm yours. Thank you that you are willing. Now I'm willing. I'm going to follow you. This could be the greatest day of your life if you say that. And maybe that's what your nail means. Maybe you have some scars. Maybe you're going through some pain, some hurt right now. And for you, you've got to nail that nail in and say, God, by your wounds, I've been healed. You've reached down and touched me. Now I'm going to accept it. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy to get up tomorrow either, but you've got to do the same thing. Maybe for you, you just got to say, you got to die to yourself. Galatians 2.20 says, but I've been crucified with Christ. You've got to die to yourself so you can walk in his life. Whatever that nail means for you, you come forward and you do it. Just have that moment with Jesus, that moment with him. Does that make sense? Okay, let's do that. As we sing, he's overcome everything.